You are now listening to Sanity Shelves. Guys. Man, that went on for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But you know what? It was worth it. Okay. I've decided. All right. That's my assertion. That's like film titles. Yeah, it's like film titles. Transitions you out of your ordinary humdrum world into our world. Right. People were like, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not even in a Sanity Shelf episode right now. And then they heard the iconic music that I sang that I have often said the wrong composer for, so I'm not even going to venture to say the composer this time. And they suddenly found themselves in the erudite world of Sanity Shelves, where we talk about a book that we've been reading. I think that's the premise of Sanity Shelves. Is there anything else to it? Yeah. We read books. Some of them are interesting. Some of them you might want to read. Some of them you might not. But either way, they can trigger an interesting discussion. And speaking of triggering, I find Ben Soldier to be very triggering sometimes. When he says offensive things, when he hurts my feelings, when he stomps all over my beliefs, it triggers me. And so I'd say at least four or five times a day. Hmm. When I pull actual triggers. Right. Yeah, when you shoot me. With Nerf guns. Mm -hmm. I'm triggered. You are. Yep. And my name is Nathan. Nathan the Triggered. Humble and obedient host. And there's one other person, Ben. I don't know whether they're triggered or not, but you can introduce them and tell us what their deal is. And Fire off my awesome introduction of them and that might trigger them. Yeah, let's find out. Man. Jake Menzel. He's a pastor. I'm so triggered. (laughs) Of sanity. I knew you were. (laughs) Well, let's pull the trigger on another great episode of Sanity Shelves. (laughs) Guys. Jake, you are the shelf holder today. Yeah. Yeah, I've been reading. I got a couple of different books that I'm reading right now. I have a lot of different books I'm reading right now, but I'm going to talk about a couple, only two of them. One I just finished and the other I'm about halfway through with, both by a guy named Jocko Willink. Um, Jocko is a former Navy SEAL, runs like a business leadership consulting company type thing. And he's a, if you know who he is, you know who he is. He sells supplements and all kinds of crap like that. So last weekend, my wife went out, out of town for about four, four or five days to go see her new niece down in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so I had all the kids to myself and I was caught running between practices and all the things with the kids on a Thursday night after we saw her to the airport. And so I had, so now Lucy was at an end of the year party for basketball. Three of the boys were at baseball. And then I had the three youngest kids. And right in between baseball and the practice is Barnes, our Barnes and Noble. And so I stopped into our Barnes and Noble. I thought that'd be a fun place to take these kids. Maybe I'll buy them some books. And so we went in and I was looking around for different things. I don't know. I'm looking to see if kids have gotten really into Diana Wynn Jones and they didn't, they didn't have anything from her Boo. that we hmm. didn't, they just had Hal, the Hal books is all they had of hers. And I saw this book sort of on display while I was there by Jocko called Way of the Warrior Kid. And it was just a little book for kids, which I had sort of coincidentally realized earlier in the day that he had done some of this stuff. And I'd forgotten that we actually had one of his books that my uh, brother-in-law gave to Abe for Christmas a year or two ago. So, I thought, oh, this looks cool because it's like 
it's called way of the warrior kid the subtitle is like from wimp to warrior the navy seal way or something like that i don't know but it's just a, a sort of a little novelization of a kid learning how to be tough and to have some self-discipline and deal with bullies and stuff like that so i thought well this may not be good fiction but maybe it'll be good and inspiring for a couple of my kids and helpful so i grabbed that and i grabbed a couple other things while we were there and I handed it to my boys and one of them read through it really quickly and got really excited and started working on pull-ups and things like that. And the oldest read it and was not impressed because it's pretty badly written. It's not a great story. It's just like, I was a wimp who didn't know my timetables and couldn't do a single pull-up and got picked on at the jungle gym. And... I hate my life because everything is so bad and I can't wait for school to be out. Boy, my Uncle Jake is going to come visit me this summer and he's a Navy SEAL. He's cool. I hope he won't think I'm too much of a (laughs) dork to hang out with. Mm. And then it's like he cries in front of Uncle Jake and then Uncle Jake is like, that's great. All these things are things we can fix. We're going to fix it this summer. So it's like you follow along the process of how he goes from zero pull-ups to 100. Zero to hero. Yeah, how he learns to swim and how he learns to, yeah, he goes to jujitsu class and how the actual tactics he learns uh, for learning how to memorize his times tables and stuff like that. So, it's sort of just like a, a spoonful of sugar with some meta tricking kids into eating some vegetables type of a type of a deal. But worked for at least one of my kids because he's like jazzed and he's following the pull-up program that Mark followed and asked me to buy the sequel books and stuff like that. So that was cool. I read it. it took like 45 minutes, a small book, but I thought it was neat and I thought it was fun and I was kind of inspired by it. Just some of the basic wisdom of self discipline and Uncle Jake's not going to let him put something off till tomorrow. The best time to get better is now. Mm. So, yes, now we're going to do pull ups now. Like, no, it's not going to wait till tomorrow. Yay, you got your timetables right for the first time. Good. We'll celebrate that for about five seconds, and then we're going to set our sights higher and kind of keep moving the goalposts. And instill the idea that improving ourselves is something that never never stops. So just some good basic stuff like that that I thought was, that was pretty good. Cool. Yeah, so I read that. I thought it was fun. I thought it was cool. And I thought, I'm going to read... Jocko's book that I have seen advertised to me and thrown in my face for years and suggested by Audible and by Amazon called Extreme Ownership. Mm. I think the subtitle is How Navy Seals Win or something like that. So I started that a couple days ago. That's pretty fun too. And just follows, tells a bunch of stories from, it's co-written by uh, a guy named Lef Babin. They read it themselves. It's pretty fun to listen to them. And they tell stories of combat situations and lessons they learned. And That's one that you made, had me listen to a minute of, right? Yeah. And the guy's just like, it, it sounds, sounds like, like how a grizzled old Navy SEAL should sound like it was. Yeah, yeah. I talk like this. And <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you about the time that you know, the IEDs blew up in my face and 
I was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. The stories are good and, and the applications are good. And it really just amounts to, you know, one of the very first stories that Jocko tells is how his, his uh, team, his teams all have awesome names like Bruiser and stuff like that, but how his team got involved in a blue on blue situation, friendly situation. And that's usually a career ending or you're going to get relieved of your command if that happens. It's kind of, he describes it, he describes all the different places things broke down and the freak circumstances that led to it and urban combat, which is a lot, you know, some of the most dangerous places for that sort of thing to happen. And he uses that sort of as his opening story to drive home one point, which is at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where all the individual breakdowns happened. The fact is they happened, they happened on his watch. And so he's the one who's responsible. And so he takes responsibility for the failure of the whole mission. And that's basically his whole shtick is there are no bad team. The, the sort of the key principle is there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. Mm. Right. So if there's a breakdown at some point along the way on your team and you're the leader of the team, somebody's not executing the vision. Somebody doesn't understand the vision. Somebody uh, isn't getting the job done over here or over there. That's your fault. And at the end of the day, you can find a way to trace it back to you. You didn't set the vision clear enough. You weren't approachable enough for people to come and ask questions when they didn't know. You didn't, whatever the case is breakdown ultimately is yours and therefore you're responsible to fix it and so eh, that's mostly what the book comes down to but it's been good fodder for just thinking about leadership in general and it's fun to hear the stories and so do you think that's accurate do you think the way that he portrays leadership is just correct i think there's well look i think there is a Yes, I think it, there's a basic truth behind what he says. And mm -hmm. part of why it's so compelling is what you have here are people in the most extreme scenarios possible, right? So, okay, you're, you're pinned down in a battle situation. And so you have to have, if you're going to lead your men through that, you have to be the kind of man and leader that those men will actually respect and follow. You have to be the kind of person that people will follow. You have to be the kind of person they trust. You have to be the kind of person they respect. You have to be the kind of person that when they tell you to do something, you know they have your best interest and the best interest of the team and the best interest of the mission at heart and you believe in the mission and you're ready to make the move and you know it may cost you your life, but you're there for it, right? And so what better testing ground for leadership is there? And what better place to learn leadership than when lives are at stake? And so that just as a general foil mm -hmm. to get back to the basic truth of what leadership is. Leadership is the ability to lead men. If men won't follow you, you can't lead. You're not a leader. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter how insightful you think you are and it doesn't matter how discerning you think you are. If men won't, don't want to follow you, you're not a leader. Doesn't matter how accurate your criticisms of other leaders are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If men don't want to follow you, you're not a leader. And so, I mean, that's just like, hey, it, I think in the church, we can get caught up in all kinds of ideas of the components of a great leader. And mm -hmm. 
look for the components of a great leader. He's got to be discerning. He's got to have uh, knowledge of scripture. He's got to have good character. Okay, all, all those things are qualifications of a leader. But at the end of the day, the most essential fundamental thing is, can he lead people? Will people follow him? Do people want to follow him? Show me the people that follow you. And so there are all kinds of people who think of themselves as leaders or as leadership potential that sit alone and are critical of other people. And, and uh, the book gives a name to them. Tortured artists or tor- tortured, tortured geniuses, geniuses is what, yeah. Yeah. tortured geniuses is what the book calls them. And in the book, I mean, Jocko and Lef, L-E-I-F, but they pronounce it Lef, like you would say uh-huh. Leif Erikson or something right. like that, but right? Lef. But the Lef is how he pronounces it. Uh, they're pretty sneering about these guys, right? They're the kinds of guys that they, at the end of the day, they may have any amount of real insight, any amount of good critical ability, any amount of discernment. But what they do is they sit in judgment on their leaders and everything is everybody else's responsibility. And so they've carved out a space where in their own mind, they're the geniuses who see everything and understand. And they're the true leaders and the ones with leadership material. They're just frustrated. Life's dealt them a bad hand. And so at every turn, you know, they just luck of the draw. God's against them. The world's against them. Their superiors are against them. If they were in control, things would be different. That's just not the world we live in. The world we live in doesn't let real leaders lead. The world we live in doesn't let people with actual judgment and discernment. Nobody actually wants to follow that kind of. And they're just like, yeah, that's just a load of crap from people who don't know the first thing about owning their yeah. own weaknesses. So you're talking Failure about the Red Pill movement. It sounds like with the stuff that we were criticizing, dealing with with Daurok back in our famous and much beloved episodes about the manosphere. Well, I'm just talking about men in general who fancy themselves to be leaders. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care about the Red Pill movement because it doesn't really touch anything that we do. Oh, I, right? I, I know. I'm just saying... That a, criticism a lot of that find themselves in the red pill movement. That criticism yeah. seems to echo to me to echo our main criticism, right? If you boiled it down, of yeah, yeah, and and you see that too in a lot of just young men, right? Like, there's a whole world of people that uh, think because they can imagine a job being done better that they're therefore capable of doing it better than the people actually out there doing it, but they just sit back and they're just sit in judgment on everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, category for them that. Jocko and Lef have is tortured genius, and they're really just a joke. The people to laugh at, to mock, and to leave behind as you go out and do real things. And, you know, one of the examples that they give of that sort of thing is, I don't know if you've ever read about Navy SEAL training, and what one of the most famous things that the Navy SEALs go through is their, their boat races and stuff like that, where they have teams and boats, and it's like part of their hell week, and it's when they're like forcing everybody to tap and it's just brutal. And they have these team boat races and they have different assignments. You come back for the team that, that wins gets to take a break. And the team that comes in last has extra work to do. And so, you know, you have like six boat crews, right? And boat crew two is like coming in first place all the time. Boat crew six is coming in last and it's completely different leadership. And the leader of Boat Crew 6 was just, I mean, they were all fighting with each other and complaining. He thought he had been, he'd drawn the hand of worst boat crew ever to lead. And if he had been 
in charge of any other boat crew, but boat crew six, he'd be up at the top. So boat crew two is like winning almost every single thing. And so the, they're, wa- they're watching this all play out. And so they make a snap decision to swap leaders of six, boat crew six and boat crew two. In the very first race, boat crew six wins mm-hmm. with a new leader. Boat crew two finishes second. And for the rest of the time, it was boat crew six and boat crew two. And the point was made. It was about leadership. And the other point that was made was leadership creates a culture that bad leaders can't even necessarily, takes time for bad (laughs) leaders to corrupt, right? Hmm. So they had all these races under their belt with good leadership that had built a culture of winning and responsibility, right? And so they they won every race. Mm -hmm. And then, but the minute that leader went to a different boat crew, he got them in shape immediately. But that other crew stayed up. So anyhow, it's that sort of thing. Cool. That's really... Sounds like something to listen to. I think it's one of those things that anybody would have fun listening to just because the the combat stories are cool. And it's just good fodder for for leadership. And for me, it's been more like, hey, you know, we're still thinking about training elders and what's it going to be? What kind of leaders is God giving us? Who Who are our leaders? Who are going to be our elders and our deacons? And how does it all fit as a church? We don't have any elders yet. So it's just sort of stepping back and being like, hey, yeah, let me not get caught up in the, in the, let me be careful to not get caught up in people who are necessarily meet certain spiritual qualifications for eldership and miss the fact that they have to be capable of leading men. And then where do we have actual leaders that maybe don't have all the qualifications we'd want or the maturity or whatever. And how do we, how do we bring those guys up to speed? Because they're the actual leaders. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. If Evansville were under siege and our church was holed up together, who would we all naturally want to look to for leadership? There's your elders, whether they're qualified or not. There's your elders, whether they're spiritually mature enough or not. Which if, if Bozo the Clown is listening... It doesn't, that doesn't mean that Jake is saying we should take unqualified men that don't meet the biblical qualifications and make them into elders. That's right. Bozo. <laughs> That's yeah, not don't, what we're don't, saying. Don't, don't be a bozo. <laughs> right. Just understand that you actually need leadership in your leaders. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but in the church and jobs that we work, I'm sure everybody can think of someone who has all the qualifications, but just isn't a leader. I mean, you can think of bad examples of this all over the place. Someone who has lots of good ideas, lots of flash, lots of charisma even, but they, they, they're not responsible. They're not humble. They don't carry weight and people don't trust them. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm just thinking a lot as you talk about the last job that I worked before I joined Warhorn many years ago now, that I guess you could say I was in a middle management kind of position. And as as we hired people, the people with the ideas and the verve and the flash, were, it was just almost one-to-one in this particular job for whatever reason. They were never the ones that, they, they were always the ones that the upper management hired, which I which I tended to resent at the time, but because because they looked good. But actually, you just always wanted to look for the responsible person that that was it. The, the person that knew absolutely nothing that had none of the skills that had a stupid resume but was willing to learn and be responsible and, and run and get coffee that that was just always the person that was going to be the next supervisor that was going to be the next golden employee 
and the person that had all the qualifications and did not possess any real humility like they could be perfect they could be just picture perfect for the job they could have everything all the experience everything and they were always worthless and they were always gone in a month or two. and it was just such a a vivid lesson it was a vivid spiritual lesson actually in in not looking at people the way that the world looks at people i am also thinking about an interview with conan o'brien of all people that i remember watching where he was like where they asked him how do you break into the entertainment industry and he said don't study don't figure out how to be the best entertainer don't have your ideas of how you would do it just go to where they make the thing that you like and hold cables and get coffee for people if you can be responsible then you can get your foot in the door but if you're a genius then you'll never get your foot in the door and yeah i know that's not exactly what this book is about but yeah i mean at the end of the day though a lot of what uh, these guys are putting forward is you have to be humble you have to be willing to take responsibility for yourself and your actions and other people's actions and i guess the way that people would... respect that and yeah. people mm-hmm. respond to that and people trust that you have when you do that people trust that you have the team's best interests at heart and that you're not going to make a mistake because your ego is too big and you're not going to make it you may make a mistake but it's not going to be because your ego is too big it's not going to be because you dug your heels in because you were proud and it, and you're not going to throw your team under the bus when you screw up right and that cultivates loyalty and respect and people respond to that yeah and so the way that you cultivate that if there's a young man that's listening who's like gee i don't know if people would think of me as a good leader like maybe maybe even if I had the elder qualifications, Jake would never think of me because I just don't have leadership, whatever that is. How do you cultivate it? The way you cultivate it is by showing up, by getting coffee, by taking responsibility, by not being too big for whatever the little tasks are. I mean, it, it, it is actually the proper application of the old proverb that 99% of success is showing up. Show up, help your church, put the darn chairs down. If, if like us, you meet at the YMCA. Be, be that person. Don't be the person who has the awesome idea for how the church could meet and do things better and mm-hmm. not even need to put down chairs because you're such a genius. Be the person who shows up and helps put down chairs or whatever it is in your life and in your situation and in your job. Yeah, there was a book I read a while ago that I talked about once on this podcast. I don't know when, but The Deming Management Method. I, I don't think it was on a sanity shelves, but who knows? And it was Dr. W. Edwards Deming, and it was a while ago, man, how long ago? I don't know, but I want to say he was active in the 70s or 80s, and he he taught a lot of people management and stuff. But one of, one of the principles in this book was, which my stepdad gave me, and it was really interesting, was that uh, if something's going wrong at your factory because your your workers don't know how to make widgets fast enough and there's too many defective widgets for every set of good widgets, it's your fault. It's not their fault, it's your fault. And how much that really ticked off management people who would go to his seminars, they'd be like, what? Like, you can't be serious. Like, have you seen our workers? Our fault? We built this company, that kind of thing. So, he would really just punch that down and then he would have, he had these statistical control methods for helping workers evaluate their own work as they went, helping them do their own work better, teaching the leadership 
lead like this. Give your guys practical ways of knowing what they're doing, even. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was pretty cool. It made a big impact on certain corporations in America, and I think a lot of corporations in Japan adopted his methods and style of taking responsibility. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting guy. Not a household name or anything. Yeah, it was very similar. Yeah. yeah. I think whether it's true or not that it's always your fault, it's always a good way of thinking about it. It may not always be your fault, but as a leader, you can, it's never not going to be a helpful way to, to frame it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, what yeah. could you have done differently? Of course, it's my fault. Yeah. If, if your workers are incompetent, then that you, you, I, you are, you're, you're, you're responsible. Mm -hmm. Either you're not training them well enough, they don't have the right tools, or you've hired incompetent people, or you've placed middle managers that have hired incompetent people who don't have a vision for what level of productivity you need. Or mm -hmm. there are other things at issue where they don't feel like they, they can come and talk to you about it so that you can problem solve it. In any case, if you were proactive in problem solving the solution, mm -hmm. there wouldn't be a problem. Right. Right. Yeah. Some of that obviously comes down to you don't, have, you don't actually have the skill to occupy the leadership. You're occupying the wisdom. And now you need to look for more of it. Right. But, it, but on some level, you have to be able to figure that out. Wait a minute. <laughs> I don't even know how to get what, I'm at, what I want to get. Who do I ask for help with that? Or who else should take this over while I go figure that out? <laughs> yeah. Well, the famous Scott Adams, the Dilbert principle is every manager gets promoted until they reach a level of incompetence. <laughs> yeah. I think there's probably some truth to that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same thing with, with the father and husband of a household. Yes, your wife and your children are free agents who will stand before God and be judged as human beings with free will themselves? Yes, that's true. But is it ever not helpful for you to think, oh, this is my fault and I need to take responsibility? Of course, that's what you should be thinking because it is your fault and you should be taking responsibility. Is there anything else to say before we close the shelf? I guess clo shelves don't close, books close. Our, our shelf can close. Yes, our shelf, we have a magical closing shelf. Is, there, is it like a cover comes down out I, of it? I think or? it's kind of a cupboard. Cupboard? Yeah, it's like a cupboard. Should we call it sanity cupboard? That doesn't have the same alliterative. No, I don't think we should do that. What's a, what's a C word for sanity? It could be like the, the something cupboard. The anti-cuckoo cupboard. The <laughs> cuckoo cupboard. The cuckoo cupboard. I mean, that's where Joe Biden reads his books or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> crazy people, bad podcasters. But we go to sanity shelves. We don't go to the cuckoo cupboard. <laughs> Well, listen, folks, I'll tell you where else you shouldn't go is any Patreon, but patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity, <laughs> unless it's one of our Patreons, in which case, like our other Patreons, in which case you can go to those. But patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity is the place to go to support this podcast and the Shiv and Lance show, the Phil, many of our other creative projects, just to support the, the three of us and the work that we're doing. Go there or go square. It's patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity and until next time stay sane <laughs>